Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Good Humans podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to guest episode number 99 of Good Humans Podcast. I cannot believe it. Almost at 100. Wow, crazy. Next week, who's it going to be? I don't even know yet. Get excited. It's going to be so epic, though. I know something good's going to pop up in the next couple of days. Big thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Drink a Rapper, The Brain Drink, Short-Term Brain Performance, Long-Term Brain Health, all backed by Neuroscience, a couple really key ingredients, and New Zealand Neuroberry, which is like a black currant, basically, from over in New Zealand. Also, pine bark extract and L-theanine. Millions of dollars of clinical studies have gone into this stuff. I've had a bunch of the owners and um, neuroscientists on this podcast. Go check them out. Head over to their website, drinkarepid.com. You get a big 25% off if you use code GOODHUMAN. Big thanks to those legends for the always continued support. All right, today's episode guest, 99. Today, we have Dan Brownie, Marlott Lord Brown and far out this guy has got a crazy 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 story um his friend and my friend ellie reached out to me saying dan would love to come on the podcast share his story share his journey because i think a lot of people could learn from it and i said let's do it so dan's had a crazy life he was really into his surfing growing up was super pumped to try and chase that dream down but never quite got to the level that he wanted he then kind of found the party scene and fell in love with partying and just went down a really dark path and had, um, yeah, a pretty, pretty crazy experience getting really into alcohol, having a crazy addiction there. Also, um, yeah, falling down the trap of drugs and really going down a bit of a dark partying path, I guess you'd call it, throughout his early 20s. He shares a lot of the stories and the problems and struggles that he had. But then he shares one experience that he had on a certain drug that sent him really, really wildly crazy. And he, um, yeah, ended up basically dying and was sedated for like 18 hours. And he said he lived a whole life through that sedation. He basically went to heaven, went to hell and just changed his whole life. And now he's been clean for about 10 years. He's, yeah, living a really, really beautiful life now. He's just an absolute froth lord trying to share his story to inspire others to make positive changes. Spent a bunch of time in rehab. He now helps other people who are struggling too. Um, yeah, he has a great coffee shop up in Newcastle and he has a young family, a beautiful wife. And yeah, he's just a really inspiring guy. I love getting to have these chats with people who've turned their life around and getting to talk about those unstable and tricky times of their life, but then to see how happy, healthy and positive they are in this next chapter. So let's jump straight into the chat. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast, Dan Mullet Lord Brownie Brown. How you going, mate? Yeah, it's so good to be here. Um, To get here, I had to wrangle two kids (laughs) into the car. Um, But last week I got COVID and I was out for the count for like six days. No way. Just proper, like, on the couch, having to look after two kids at the same time. Oh. And then um, did a negative test last Saturday. And I've just been exhausted, ever, like, ever since. And I did a 
an ice bath just to get back into it because I did like 35 days straight, just a little challenge of myself. And then, yeah, had my first one back yesterday just because I was feeling, it's usually like I've got so much energy and we'll talk about this later, but I get such a build up of energy that it's just got to go somewhere. And throughout having COVID, like it all built up. And then yesterday, it just, I felt like so fucked in the head. Like my, it felt like my brain was compressing and I had this inner energy and I just had to put it somewhere. So, but I had to look after the kids all day too. Oh, no. So I ice bath, settled I, down a bit. Ice bath and then a surf and I was just paddling around like crazy. But I woke up today like feeling like feeling the same. So I had another ice bath this morning because it dead set just like snaps me back into like I could be feeling so funky and like I still deal with depression and it's like I'll have that ice bath and it'll just snap me back into the moment. Wow. And then we had this podcast today and I was just like, what a day for this to, uh, to, to come on. Like probably one of the, the, like I was feeling probably the most low yesterday and then this morning feeling like shit. And I've just got here and plonked my ass down with you. Something I've wanted to do for ages because like I've, seen you around like the surfing industry throughout like um my adolescent years and I've always known who you were but then you joined um Wade Carmichael's um Wade's World yeah yeah I saw that and I was like no way look at like Wade's little entourage he's got now and Mm. like it's so good to see him like succeed through surfing and I saw you like having his back as well and I was just like how good's this you know people coming together and then I saw like what you were doing um, online and stuff and I was just like I gotta meet this guy mate well we're here yeah. right now <laughs> hopefully the ice bath this morning the drive down with the kids can make you feel not as average for the next hour yeah. we catch up and hear your story because you've got one of the most <clears throat> crazy stories I've ever heard mm. I listened to another podcast you went on recently and heard all about your story so I can ask some good questions today but yeah yeah man you've got a very unique story and I'm very excited to get to share it with the listeners but the first question I do open good humans podcast with generally is what are you grateful for right now oh man my beautiful kids and wife my sanity Mm. living in this country like full of opportunity um you know Imagine if I was born in Haiti or something like we wouldn't even be able to, we'd have dreams and aspirations, but there'd be no way of even achieving them. Mm. So just to like, you know, just to be like mindful and grateful that, hey, we're in Australia Mm. and we can talk about this stuff and we do have opportunity. So my heart goes out to anyone, any of those war-torn countries that don't. Absolutely, man. Yeah, fuck, we're so lucky here. And you got to remind yourself, it's like the, yeah. the smallest things that we get so caught up about and like lose sleep over. And then it's like these people are trying to like, yeah, escape war, escape famine, escape poverty. And we're like, oh, my buddy boss didn't give me the pay rise I wanted. It's like, yeah, 
Life's yeah. pretty good. There's a lot of opportunities so here. So good. It's um, yeah, so important to take notice of that. But today's all about your story. That's right. Let's go back to the start. Where were you born? What was kind of, let's talk childhood, what you can remember that yeah. sort of set your values in your yeah. family life and dynamic as a kid. Yeah, so I remember just being like having such a lust for life as a, as a little kid. And like I remember just like being so intrigued about the world, having a crazy imagination, but at the same time, um, I was like brought up in a pretty unstable household, so like there was a lot of confusion um, in the house. Just like our farm went um, into a drought in the early uh, early nineties, late late eighties. I think it was like. 91 mm-hmm. um we had to move from singleton and like farming was in my dad's blood and just like surfing's in ours yeah so like he was taken away from like his pride and joy mm. and mum was 18 when she had me wow like dad was 22 so like I I see everything for what it is these days it's like I've got so much empathy like for them and they're just doing their best yeah but you know dad um coped with that loss um you know in I guess um and got caught up with a bit of a crowd security guarding so I'm not sure um what they're up to but it was um, it wasn't positive. Mm. So it went from a farmer to moving somewhere else and having to find a job and got into security yeah. guarding. Yeah, and um, yeah, there was just like a cask of wine uh, on the on the floor all the time, which I which I thought was normal, and um, a lot of um, like just domestic violence. Um, so like there'd be big arguments and then next thing you know, the argument's over and like, they're just like macking out in the kitchen and like, so it's like for a little kid, confusing. it's like what, you know, if there was an argument, like we're told to like get outside and wait in the backyard until it was over. So like at the same time, like I'm not playing the victim at all. Like I know a lot of people would even like fucking kill to have that upbringing because um, it wasn't compared to others. Like mm. it's it was just reality. It, I don't see it as that. That it was just normality. Yeah. But from a psychological standpoint, it just really like <laughs> fucked me up in a way. Mm. Yeah. Like there was a lot of trauma that came out of it, and um, I didn't know how to deal with it and. The things I'd do for attention, um, I wouldn't. I'd do you know bad things for attention, like mum was strung out looking after three kids, and I just wanted love and attention. So I'd like you know find old ciggies um, for my brother to smoke and like to go show mum and dad. So like they'd come after me. No, I just just so they, just so he'd come after me. Wow! Like even if he was like running at me. In a rage, I was like, oh, he notices me. He's running for me. Mm, 
Wow. You know, Fuck. being such a daddy's boy. Yeah, yeah. And my brother was a daddy's boy too. And it's like, we didn't get that due to, um, you know, like, like I guess mental health stuff going on because of the circumstance with dad. Mm. But um, also like a lot of um, ab- absence as well, yeah. um, like him him going away for like just leaving in a rage for, for months on end. Wow. And then coming back like there was nothing wrong. Mm. So like psychologically I was being taught a lot of wrong ways on how to deal with things mm. and I had to unlearn a lot of things. But I remember this is why I love – um, hearing what you do at the schools because I remember being up until year two I was so like susceptible I was like a sponge for information I can remember before I was um I guess uh, corrupted mm. but um I remember just soaking up like I was the biggest teacher's pet I went to a um, Christian school and I was soaking up any information I was sitting up the front um, but I wasn't I didn't get get any attention. I went to a, yeah this Christian school. I wasn't getting any attention, and then there was bullies there, and the the teachers weren't doing anything about it. There was this like big kid, his name was Remington, like had it in for him now, like, and they called him Remington the Lamington, and like <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. used to push him around and stuff, and the the teachers would just like wouldn't do anything, and then. I didn't agree with it. So, like, that was, like, the first fight I got in. Like, I, like, grabbed one of the bullies and bear-hugged him and went, run, Remington. And I still remember him look back and just go. And then um, there was two of them and then me in year two. And I'm not a fighter. I'm, like, it was when I still had a chance in a way. And that was the start. I was, like. It's almost like bully or get bullied. Mm. Survival of the fittest. Yeah. Like all that shit. Like I was excited to get exposed to all that shit at school. Mm. And slowly like from a teacher's pet, I came and things going badly at home, I started becoming like defiant and like I was um, doing things at school. Like, you know how I did things for atten- bad things for attention at mm. Uh, home I started doing bad things for attention throughout throughout, uh, school. throughout school up through through into high school yeah well let's talk about that next chapter then moving yeah. into high school having a bit of a, well, a sounds like quite a broken family at home having to maybe find a bit of solace at school but then that carrying across into school like you mm. said just then having that kind of rat bag mentality a bit mm. of school for attention so yeah what was school like for you Let's talk yeah. like towards yeah. the end of school, like yeah. where you, you got into surfing and understood the ocean oh, a bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about surfing Man, in high school. Like I owe so much to the ocean, like because when all that was going on throughout my adolescent years, um, throughout high school to, to year 12, like that was my escape from this world that I didn't understand. So like I wanted surfing and the ocean just gave me everything I ever wanted like to experience on land as well mm. which was like pure bliss and joy and being in the moment yeah um and also um a bit of an adrenaline I'm a, an adrenaline junkie in a way too 
So it gave me that side of things as well. So like I'd escape and surf for like before school, after school, like up through to finishing my HSC. Wow. So to me, the ocean dead set, like we'll get into it down the track, but the ocean has pretty much saved my life. Yeah, a few times, I'm guessing. It's, it's like nearly killed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's nearly killed all of us. Yeah, <laughs> but, it's, but it's like it saved my life. I've got such a like a deep respect for the ocean and, um, you know, um, finished my HSC, got just got, there was no ATAR back back in my day. There was yeah. no ATAR, um, but I, I got like fifty one percent, like in my HSC, like Scraped. I just passed. <laughs> and like, mum just said, Brownie, if you do it, can do anything for me, just do, just finish high school. Come on. Mm. And she was like, What do you want to do with your life? Like, go get a um, get a trade. Mm. Like, yeah. What and, did you think oh, your life was going to look like, like after school? Because I'm oh. sure. We will get into the story about yeah, sort of drugs and alcohol. Had that started already yeah. towards the end of high school? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, like I remember just putting all this, all these responsibilities on myself about, like, because dad left when I was 11 wow. for good, um, and times yeah, times got really tough at home. Like, I remember looking after my brother and sister like I was the dad. Wow. Put on like just had so much responsibility as a young kid that I put on myself. Um, and then, yeah, 16 came around and I just, you know, goon bag at the beach as your rite of passage. Mm. And I just felt like all those responsibilities just wash away. But when I, I, I picked up, like I had to drink to oblivion, like there was no just one glass of wine mm. and that carried on. Like I, the love for the ocean, throughout high school um sort of um overrode the alcoholism mm-hmm. um it was like on the weekends you know you could at least um, have a bit of balance yeah like yeah. i the love for the ocean and my, like my goals like i wanted to pursue surfing but at the same time i felt so less than like just due to um being left like as a as a kid yeah, that that was where that pathic, pathological critic, I call it, in my mind, really started to become loud. Yeah, yeah. So in high school, it was like self doubt, self doubt galore, and it was that false information that was being fed um, that I was feeding myself due to a low self esteem. Yeah. Um, so now that I look back, like you know, being, I guess I'm just going to say I'm allergic to alcohol. Like once I have one, I can't stop. Yeah. And my mind tries to justify and rationalise that having one is a good idea where that's just complete bullshit because mm. I've never had one. Mm. <laughs> know the feeling. I'm, yeah. I'm 11 months sober right now. Yeah, I've heard. Which has been cool. But I've heard. Look. You're going on to a year and, like, it's pretty cool we're talking about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll ca- keep going through your story and we'll catch yeah. up and talk a bit more about the sober yeah, journey at the end knows. because – there's a chapter in the middle here that yeah. has some stories that I think are like crazy. Mm. Mm. I'm sure you're probably kind of happy to share them because I know you've shared them before and I think a lot of people will get some stuff out of them. Mm. But, yeah, let's talk about that chapter finishing high school where you're like, all right, I'm going to try and do the surfing a bit on the junior yeah. series. 
we what were you doing for work how are you yeah yeah, funding getting to travel and do some surf comps but also finishing school and funding being an adult yeah it's like i it's hard because for me like there's so much out so much outside influence around like what a surfer is like and i was a bit lost as well as who am i as a surfer like and so i did the um junior series um from 18 to 19 all intentions of of showing up to each event and doing well but that that pathological critic and that low self-esteem i basically like before i even entered the water i'd lost Mm. like i just felt so i was looking at like you know nick vasacek and all those older boys like i was just going i'm not like I'm down here and they're up there, mm. you know. So as soon as I'd stand up, I'd like the knees would get wobbly and I'd just be like, fuck. And then how did I deal with that? Like there was a party on. Through the bottle. There was a party. There was, even if there wasn't a party, like I was with a group of guys, mm. let's go have a beer. Next thing you know, I'm on a bender. And it's like, next thing you know, the whole year's gone by did terribly and I'd just been on a year fucking party Mm. and then like at the same time just negatively talking to myself about like everything you know just just like all right what do I do now I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life yeah and so I had a friend that um got me a job at a hotel when I was 19 and it was almost like like I had these aspirations of just of I didn't know what I wanted to do with surfing, but I just wanted to be a surfer. Like I didn't care about anything else. Like I'd just like love the money to be coming in and me to be able to surf. Yeah. Like I'm a simple guy with simple pleasures. Mm. And like now that in hindsight I see everything the way it worked out and I wouldn't change anything for the world, but... I was just such a lost soul that I didn't realize that I was hiding, you know, I was basically fearful of of success mm. at the same time. Um, I was like, I'm naturally an entertainer as well. So, and like what I want, what I wanted scared me. Mm to the point where I subconsciously used external um, distractions, I'll say, um, to hide from my true vocation, what mm. I was put on this earth to achieve. Yeah, wow. And I had like, so, you know, with the in, my intuition, like, I was blotting out my spirit, working um, a safe job with a safe, a safe. Uh, I was getting like a thousand bucks a week. I yep. thought that was pretty good. And where was it at the hotel? Was it a hotel down uh, in Sydney? So yeah, you get in there. It's like the most prestigious hotel in yeah, wow. circular in Sydney. So did Harris ever work the, there with yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, so you worked in that crew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Having good friends with Harris, Harris and Wade and stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, like heaps of people from the coast has, yeah, has worked used to there, do that. and it, like. Don't get me wrong, like, it was so fun. Yeah. Like, driving 
any sort of car you could name, I'd, I've driven it. Yeah. Dealt with um, like celebrity galore. I remember Taj Burrow and his girlfriend staying and I'd already had like, fuck, I think I was like on my fourth Bundy. <laughs> no one knew. Yeah, so when you're working here, you're 19, you're drinking on 20, the job. and you're yeah, in between just drinking on the job. and Driving like, mate, I remember getting on a bender, someone calling me and going, Brownie, you're meant to be at work. Hadn't slept. I drove my unregistered car to work and they gave me the key. The first thing that my first job was to move a Rolls-Royce Phantom from one part of the driveway to, to the other and park it. That's a million dollars brand new. Just no sense of real responsibility back then. Just nah. not a worry in the world, not really that family structure and nah. morals and values drilled in from a young yeah. age. Like, I think people forget that like without that upbringing of structure and stability, people just don't have guidance. And like, it sounds like that's kind of where you yeah. were at at that time of your life. So yeah. Let's um yeah. yeah let's I'd given about- up on myself. Yeah. Um, like it was pretty symbolic. Like there was the surfing, or or safe or a safety safe mm. job, and I went this way. And that's when my drinking, like, escalated. Yeah. Um, to the point where I basically just gave up on myself, which is it's it's sad. Like. Being sober now, being so observant, like I can, I, I see it going, see it happening with society a lot. Mm. It might not be as extreme as um, my story, yeah. but it could. It's in, in a subtle way, like it ha- it's happening a lot, and like it's what I'd love to just raise awareness about, like you know, fears, um, self centeredness, selfishness, the ego. Mm. Um, I was suffering with a lot, and um, to a point where I got, I was. Um, daily drinking from 20, um, 22 um, to 24 when I wound up in rehab. Wow. So it's working crazy. At the, working um, at the hotel. The hotel for like three, four years. just Five years. Five years of, and then chronic alcoholism. And they didn't catch it and just. No, nah, man. I thought um, I was a functional yeah. alcoholic. So I had drink surfed. and then do double shifts, wouldn't you? Drink on the job, shifts, sleep in the hotel for the night, do another mm. double shift and be done for the weekend. Yeah, yeah, dude. Like, and I thought, oh, how functional am I? Like, how good's like, but. You felt like you hadn't lost it or hit rock bottom. You could yeah. still. Alcohol, dead set, gave me everything like, like I ever wanted on this, on this earth. Like things would happen, like hectic shit would happen. You know, just life goes on, shit happens. And people would be like in all sorts, you know, grieving, just dealing with stuff naturally. Mm. And I'd be going, yeah, well, I don't, what are you worried about? Mm. Just, just have a beer. Like, and like, so while it, it served me well for, for the time, that time, um, it was like, even like I used to, Wilco would, Maddie Wilco, like I used to, we used to have a good time and he'd look at me and just go, what 
you're going to kill yourself, man. Mm. What the fuck? You haven't had a girlfriend for like how, like how many years? And I was just like, I don't care about cheeks. Live fast, mm. die young. I'll choose this over over girls any day. This is my girlfriend. I wake up in the morning, the bottle's there. Mm. When I drink it, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's never going to leave me. Wow. Yeah, bro. So that was your early 20s. When did sort of drugs and stuff start becoming involved as well? Yeah. When did alcohol become 19. 19. Yeah. I'd like start um, indulging quite heavily in ecstasy. And um, back then, like, goey was a big thing. Mm -hmm. So you used to, like, get a point of it, um, roll it in some tissue paper and swallow it. Wait, what's goey? Yeah, it's like, it's it's base. Um, base from it's like, cocaine or no, from MDMA or speed? Speed. Oh, speed. <laughs> One of them. Yeah, so, like, we used to... Um, get a fair bit of that it was just cheap yeah and uh nasty shit but strong Mm. and um yeah used to um sprinkle um cocaine in pretty much every ciggy i'd smoke wow um hallucinogens anything yeah anything give it to me anything so when you said you went to rehab, was that the kind of final straw? Did you end up yeah. partying after? Because that's is that from that no. story where you ended yeah. up on the roof of the car? Is that yeah that like, story? I didn't know that. You know, I, it's like I didn't plan on on any of this. Like yeah. it's a crazy thing. Like I had they call it a um, divine intervention, and like we'll get into how divine I like I just the divinity in this world and like the fact that there's something out there looking you know looking out on it over us Mm. but um even like i i didn't believe in a power greater than myself but now that i look back like i can see that i've had i've got some guardian angels looking out for me Mm. and um so i was you know got kicked out of my, my mate's bar in newcastle um and I didn't have any alcohol from Newcastle train station to get back to Bondi. By the time I got to Strathfield, I started hitting withdrawals and um, hit the deck, had a seizure and um, left from Strathfield. I was just, you know, pulled my, like, this is like having mind over matter shit. This is withdrawals from alcohol. Like yeah. You're drinking all day, every day. If you stop, you'd. Straight away yeah. withdrawals after an hour or two. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I'd always had had shaken, but not to the, not to this extent. Um, like eyes rolling in the back of my head, com- completely looking like a zombie on the floor. Mm. It's one of the most dangerous drugs to detox from. <laughs> alcohol, yeah? yeah. Which people don't people think oh a detox is it coming down after a bad hangover. A detox yeah. from alcohol is different to a hangover. Yeah, it's hardcore. Yeah. Like I um got out of I just felt this like urge to get out of the train station so all I had I lost left my bag and everything on the train all I had was my mobile phone and um I was walking out like I gathered regathered myself and was walking out of the train station and that's where the voices kicked in and I was um people were going 
brownie, brownie in my ear and I'd look behind me, no one there. I'd look and um, my skin would be um, almost like bugs were like protruding like onto the top level of my skin and then um, scattering like around my body and I was trying to get them out. Oh, oh. And then um, I got out of Central, I was at Central Station and um, I was sitting up on the park and I, um, I was like laying on the grass and it's like pretty symbolic too because that's where all the homeless people um, mm. hang out. Like I was near all those tents that are yeah. on the, ra- this, the railing at Central. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was just one of those, one of those people that you see at Central, mm. just like out of their mind, like going through the the DTs, um, delirium tremens they call it. And um, I was, you know, when someone like hides and scares you and you go, oh, yeah. like around the corner or whatever, it's funny. Like that's what was going on with me, like on that grassy hill. And this was, was just like the alcohol detoxing. Yeah. Wow. So I hadn't, yes. And then um, I called my mate like and I just, the same bloke that um, um, the week before, um the like we did um some like a crazy drug um called bath salts that was big in the the states um and there was you know news articles and whatnot about people on bath salts in the in the states like chewing their chewing their mates face off and stuff and um that's um what um a couple of my mates and i did we didn't know that that's what it was um we were only given one pill by these dodgy russian blokes fucking like a dead set like a scene out of a movie yeah talk me through that yeah no, and no. um they're like you know, how many of so that was the week before it was the week before oh okay and then you, yeah so this whole experience is week before but then you got back on the piss and then you had the train yeah so, okay so, yeah, so i was I sh- about that week I, before. yeah i should have i should have started no, the no, week before fine. but because um, you ended up in hospital and stuff from that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about yeah, that let's night do with the that. Russian guys. And, um, yeah, so they they just said that we only need one. And I was like going, what the fuck? Eating a lot of drugs. You're like, one, I'll be right. One. So we thirsted it. And as soon as I snorted it, like, I knew I was in trouble. Like, I'd had like a lot of um a lot of highs and i'd been um i've ha- I even had a few a couple of near-death experiences before that due to overdoses like i wasn't i was basically trying to kill myself um so yeah come up so hard that i just started vomiting rainbows and it felt good like I drank a lot that night and it was just, I still remember it just projectiling out of my mouth and it just being the most fucking amazing colours and it was project, I was pushing it out too and talking at the same time, like completely possessed by this drug. And um, wound up out the front near Beach Road Hotel uh, where my mate lived and um, I was getting hot, took, took off my shirt and saw my little um, red charade out the front and for some reason I just wound up on the roof of it and I just started jumping on it. Of your own car. (laughs) 
I was so euphoric. Hey? I reckon I could have, I, I dead set could have lifted that car over, over my head and thrown it. Like that's how fucking unstoppable I felt on this stuff. Wow. It was nuts. And I think my mate ended up on there, but as soon as like I was in trouble, like I started foaming from the mouth up there and um, my eyes started rolling in the back of my head, but I was de- like demonic, um, possessed in a way. And um, I wouldn't get off the top roof of the car. And um, it took like four cops. Yeah, to... so what happened? The cops just weren't they just driving past oh, yeah, like bad timing? <laughs> yeah, good timing. Good timing, yeah. Like but, crazy. Yeah. Like I was in serious trouble and these cops just showed up out of nowhere. And, yeah, they tackled me off the roof of the car because I was restraining arrest and... um basically took a big drop onto my face and I was like ferociously trying to get out of their grip and scratched the like the first layer of skin off my face could not feel a thing hardly remember it to be honest and they um handcuffed me and um called the ambulance and then they um they got there and sedated me and they didn't know like like what you I should have died like the the um, like I can't explain like like how like, I've never felt this feeling before. It was fucking like this drug had been made. Like it's made in a lab. You don't hear about it anymore, but they say it's like a hundred times stronger than say acid wow. or ecstasy, whatever you, and whatever ever synthetic shit that they they've they've made and. At that time, like they could get it through uh, over the borders without being detected, so it was like a bit of a thing back then. And like the ambulance came, sedated me when I was the most fucked I've ever been, uh, which probably wasn't a good a good thing to do. Um, but in the end, I survived. Yeah, what? So it's <laughs> dangerous to be sedated. When I think you're so. Yeah. I, like I just sort of had a you know had a bit of a think about it, and like. They put me to sleep when I was like the most buckled I've ever been. Mm. So like that that mind over matter, like I wasn't in that anymore. It was like a chemical thing. Like my heart was, uh, I, I guess I could, my heart was going to explode. Like there was, I was just in a bad way to the point where they sedated me and they, you know, they open your eye with a little torch and shine it in there. Mm. And they were like, oh yeah, he, this guy's gone. Yeah. And that's all I remember when the ambulance come. That's all I remember them saying. Wow. And then in the hospital bed when they took me back there, they handcuffed me to it. And um, I basically um, had lived a whole other life in that, um, I think it was like 16 hours being sedated. So I was um, like so many people, like so many kids, whatever, like, take ecstasy or whatever pill whatever's in that shit and wind up in hospital and you hear about them not you know not waking up and like I was just another one of those statistics but I woke up and um but to wake up I had I I basically traveled to um an out of body I had an out of body experience traveled to I just call it heaven um and create had a um 
an experience there. Um, I wasn't in human form. I was, I was a spirit and um, time didn't exist. My ego didn't exist. And I was just introduced to um, like true, true essence, the true essence of spirit that's hard to describe. Um, so connection between myself and these guides up there was so strong that we weren't using our voices. We were communicating through body language. Wow. Yeah. And they introduced me to like who I was at a core level and um, taught me a lot about um, uh, humanity, like uh, just basically unveiled the truths of of humanity um, and um, my true capabilities. When you say taught you, was it like, do you feel like an interaction feeling or more of a, like a knowing, like just a transfer of like knowledge and yeah. understanding? Yeah, it was almost like they, we experienced this whole other life. Like there was no time. I can't tell mm. you how long I was up there, but it, it just felt like an, a whole other yeah, lifetime. Wow. wow. Yeah. So like up there, there's no clocks. Mm. We, um, we leave like our spirit transcends. That's it. Mm. Um, and the true essence of spirituality is unification, mm. unconditional love. Um, it was basically like a futuristic utopia up there. Wow. And each individual, I don't know how many individuals they were. It's almost like, you know, when something happens a long time ago mm. and it's like, it doesn't leave, it hasn't left me. Like I tried to forget it yeah. in a way because it does get pretty traumatizing. Yeah, yeah. Um, to the point where they taught me so much and I gained, I had such a great relationship with these people. It's almost like they disclosed um, too much to me. Uh -huh. um, and they got orders from higher to leave to keep me there and then i had to f show them prove to them how badly i wanted to come back to earth and in that fight it wasn't necessarily physical it was more so like with that um, energetic connection and the way we communicated mm. um it was more in the sense of that that strength yeah. and that energy. So I was, I was using every bit of persuasion to get me back to my body, and they had some sort of futuristic weapon, or I don't even know if it was a weapon, but they had me down like I was in spirit form, but I felt like I was um, locked in a certain position. Strained, yeah. And I remember connecting eyes with the, the bloke that I that was assigned to keep me there and I remember looking at him like in the eye and I was like 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 you can't do this like I've got to go back I have to go back 
And I think it was the fact that he had a soft spot for me in a way Wow. that he let me go. And that was the, um, I guess, I don't know if everyone goes through that on in that um, crossing over. Yeah, but people go with them rather than come back. If I didn't like show that um, willingness and um, desperation to come back to earth and I, if I wasn't the strong person that, that I was because I guess like the true like spirituality is a way of strength too. Mm. So harnessing that, I had to harness that that spirit mm. um, and was it all a test? Was it all, were they always going to let me back to my body but I they want to teach me how mm. not to take this life for granted? Like was it all a divine teaching for me who knows but um yeah they let me go and I can just still remember that like imagine someone putting a, a, a gun to your head and going Cooper show me how badly you want life wow that's like that's what happened so like for me um PTSD was like, I I think to that moment and experience those feelings and want to uh, medicate myself um, due to that, yeah. self-medicate. But that wasn't it. I, um, when I, 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 I fell into, into hell. So I was like up, up here and I, I, I fell down into into hell yeah wow and i found myself like i guess i was just paying for my sins like i'd never hurt anybody like i hurt people that wanted to hurt me um you know and so yeah i never aimed i went out to hurt anyone i was just like like what happened when the kid was being bullied mm. Like I, I couldn't stand for bullies, yeah. so I used to just think it was my duty to not take that. Mm-hmm. But then, am I lowering myself to to them? Yeah. Yeah. But um, so ended up in hell, and I was walking around like aimlessly. So um, time doesn't exist down there either, and it was like a an endless desert, and I was walking around, no time, doing my time. And I was looking at these these chambers and they were like under under lock and like I could hear like the most fucked up noises coming from them. And I was like I just had this sense that they did bad things on earth and that they were dealing with, they were paying for their sins in there. Wow. So crazy. Wow. And then like this felt like a lifetime as well. And then I wound up, this is like um, sort of the the climax to, I guess, um, my rebirth in a way. I found myself in a Colosseum, like in Gladiator when um, they're having their battle and there's there's people, like, you know, just an old school stadium. And um, there was people like, and I was naked. And I was like... I had this feeling like I was worried about what like people were thinking about me in a way. 
And I started like feeling really weak and I fell onto my knees and I started vomiting and it like, I vomited up like a fountain and then it would come back down on me and like wash me in a way. And this was on repeat for I don't know how long until I was to the point where I wasn't worried about what anyone was thinking about me anymore. And I was like, I basically just started screaming, going, I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. Like that with vomit and shit in my mouth too. Like, you purged the self purged doubt, it. purged the, yeah, like, the self, like, purged yeah. my old self, mm. um, cleansed myself from my sins in a way. And, um, to the point where I, I was nothing, I felt like nothing. And, like, there's a, like, there's a prayer, like, it's a St. Francis prayer that I read a lot. And the last, um, sentence is, um, to die one awakens to eternal life. So it's like the, I died and when self dies, there goes the feeling of, you know, fear of death. Mm. You get um, in touch with the fact that it's we're living an eternal life. This is the physical and then we move on to a different phase. Yeah, crazy. So that's that that's that last sentence explained. Yeah, yeah. Little did I know, like after that last um, purge, and I, I can, I, I yeah, after that death, that purge, and I woke up. I look. I remember seeing hospital lights and going. My hands were on it, um, attached to the hospital bed, and they were blown up like soccer balls because of how the um, you're resisting the handcuffs. Yeah. yeah. And um, I remember like seeing my family there and my brother, like we met eyes first and he just started bawling his eyes out and ran out of the room. And I was just going, what's going don't, on? Don't cry. Don't worry about me. I'm all good. Little like, and all that didn't come to me then. I was too distra- like. All that shit happened. It was too much to even can like even think about. Yeah, trying to conceptualize what just happened. Yeah, and um, they held me in hospital for like three days, and they asked me what I took, and there was only cocaine in my bloodstream. And they said, "Oh, did you take any other drugs?" And I said, "No." And they left. They let me out of hospital, like when I was like they shouldn't have left me out. Let me out. Still like coming down from mental what you're health taking. stuff. Yeah, man. mental stuff. I was, I was um, there. Little, I wasn't being honest. Mm. It's my fault. So you didn't. Feel, so once that <clears> happened, <throat> you still didn't really get the that awakening. Even though you had that awakening, you came back. It still wasn't the final straw. Yeah. So then the following week, you yeah. go back back on the drink. Yeah. And then the voices after the that happened. Yeah. Medicated, self-medicated my trauma. Yeah. Yeah, to the point of um, being on that train, and, and then um, you're in King's Cross, and yeah, not Cross. Um, what did you say? Uh, um, Martin's place. Um, uh, Central. 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 
Yeah, and then you call up. your mate, and then yeah, the same mate that was um on that on that drug too, and um I got out of the taxi, and he started like mocking me, like doing that, going Ugh, like vomiting because he remembers when oh, I was. Oh, your mate, yeah, yeah, yeah. When and, you saw him, yeah, and I was like, I was looking at him, and I and I started his veins started popping out of his body. And I could see that drug like flowing through his veins, like he was possessed by it still. Yeah, wow. And then he started just morphing into a devil. And this is just me detoxing off alcohol. Yeah, wow. And I ran up to the top level, like where he was, and um, um, I locked myself in his room and I was just getting like frightened from one end of the room to the other. And he was on the phone to his like his sister who was a um, paramedic or something. And um, I just had to put in it. I thought I have to, the only way, the voices were going in my head going, the only way you're going to stop this brain is if you crush it. And, like, that's the crazy thing, like, about suicide. I didn't have suicidal tendencies, but I got myself into such, like, an acute state that I don't know where this voice came from. Like, was it the devil? Like, Mm. did I feed the dark like to the point where it like evolved within my mind who knows but I I um ended up climbing over his veranda and um like holding on like like this and looking looking down and um the voice was going jump 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 the only way you're gonna stop um, your mind from racing like this is you gotta stop it for and like trying to fucking persuade me to jump wow. and like nothing else like i i wasn't thinking about anyone or anything like i had this lust for life but when like i've got so much empathy for people that do take their life because like i felt myself like zone zone in and the voices and being drawn down and um, my willpower is like I've got such a strong willpower and for some reason I just like I can remember like basically used like alcohol I guess like I used to call it my medicine and I just remembered that there was beers in the fridge and I went I climbed off the veranda and I went to the the fridge and just smashed like three Carlton drafts. Wow. And I felt like that. Release. Yeah. Just that, just that warm hug that like an al- that alcohol gives me. Um, that elusive feeling that like that first couple of drinks gives me. Mm. And um, I was still like hearing voices and stuff, but it just band-aided, it band-aided me. Yeah. Um, and I went, um, I had a paper bag in one hand, a beer in the other. It was like 9 a.m. and I was walking down the uh, main street of Bondi and I just said, I've got to go, I've got to jump in the water. And this is a mind over matter thing. Like I told myself that once I jump in the ocean that everything's going to be okay and I got down, I stripped down into my undies 
and just went and dived into the um, the shore break at Bondi. And I just laid there. It was a small day and I just laid on my back and floated and I just like visualised my like brain chemistry like all evening out and um, I told myself that like I was better, which I wasn't. Mm. And, um, yeah, someone bought another, me another long neck and it's the first beer I've, I denied. Wow. Yeah, I just said, nah, because if I had another one, not anymore. It would have been. I knew that I would. It would have tipped me over the edge because I'd already had like four Carlton drafts. Yeah. And um, that's when I spoke to Mum, and um, she was over in um, Randwick at that time, and she called um, her brother's best mate, who was um, the head psychologist at a rehabilitation center. At Curl Curl. Yeah. And um, they got me in in two weeks. Maybe the one Tommy Carroll went to. Same one. Same one. Yeah. yeah. And um, I was being monitored. I had to drink every day still. Uh, but mum monitored me at her place. I was drinking like a couple of couple of wines a day. Wow. Uh, until I got in to rehab because people don't realize that you can't just like cold turkey stop if you're drinking all day every day like super it's like one of the most dangerous drugs to detox off yeah 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 Yeah. so yeah that was that was my rock bottom because it wasn't enough that near-death experience wasn't enough i had to complete i had to decision yourself i had to get to that low point um i had to feel what it was like to lose my mind completely Mm. um I felt so like that the feeling of loneliness um, when I was in that room, um, getting shocked from one end to the other, mm. being completely isolated. I had to feel those feelings. Um, like that was my it. It wasn't. Yeah, that was my low. Mm. Being you know, alcohol took everything from me, but it wasn't till it robbed my sanity that I thought I was going to be one of those crazy people in a mental institution. Yeah. Being like in Mandala, being alive, but, but being insane is like, that's hell on earth. Yeah. And like that gave me the biggest fright, but at the same time, I don't have another trip left in me. Like if I pick up again, I don't have another chance. No. Like I've been given that many chances and if I pick up, I'm allergic to alcohol, you know, one's not enough. I'll mm. drink to oblivion and I will, I'm guaranteed I'll end up in a in an asylum or, or dead. Wow. So since rehab, you've never touched anything? Because no. rehab, what is it? It's like 15 or 20% of people actually it works for and like 80% end up back in rehab or some crazy statistics. I think it's worse than that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like in America, there's so much kickback from the government that it ends up being like they pay you to like go to rehab and then come out and give you the money to get back on drugs to come back a few months later. Um, But yeah, so what was rehab like for you and what were some of the things that you learned that sent you on this new path and then, yeah, let's catch up to what you're up to now because you've been sober for what, eight, nine and a half years, you were saying? Eight. Eight yeah, nine, um, almost nine. July, I'll be nine years. Good on you, man. 
Yeah, man. So like that's just survival in the end. Like I was blessed um, to not be exposed to any substances in rehab for that um, that month um, because I'd, I'd talk about my trauma um, the near-death experience and stuff, and then race to the race to the nurses and try and get more Valiums and antipsychotics, mm. um, and they wouldn't give them to me, you know. Because and imagine if I wasn't in rehab. Well, because quite often they give um, alcohol people, well, like people coming down from alcohol Valium, yeah, to yeah. ease it. Well, that's what I was on. So it's like yeah, I was on the Valiums in there, um, anti-lancepine. Um, it's like an antipsychotic as well. Yeah. And then I put on like eight kilos in there as well, so having three meals a day when I, you know, I never used to do yeah, that. No, but not. yeah, um, so I just straightened out enough. They told me to go to a twelve-step fellowship when I left. Yeah, and um, I was, I guess I see it now. I'm blessed to have undergone um, like a twelve-step um AA. fellowship yeah AA, you know yeah because like i wish that it was on offer for everyone mm-hmm. because long, basically the steps for me um i got in touch uh, with the fact that i was the problem all along mm, take some accountability yeah um i had to free myself from any resentments or fears i was harboring i made amends to people that I'd harmed. I came to terms, my biggest harm was um, absence. So I came to terms with um, the fact that my absence was, uh, I was harming my loved ones with me being absent. Um, And then it says, um, you know, um, to delve into prayer and meditation to strengthen my, um, I guess, my my idea of what my higher power was back then, which has evolved Mm. um, ever so divinely. And then um, to keep all of that, like through that I had a psychic change and a spiritual awakening. Yeah. But to keep it, I've got to pass it on. So that taught me about service um, and gratitude. So it's my duty now to to plonk my butt in a in a meeting once a week that's my home group um and to um be completely um of service um to people that are suffering with with alcoholism like myself and to to pass that on uh, what i learned to someone else and to watch their lights come back on and to watch them get well yeah nice and it's like is that what we're here for mm. Yeah, it's like such a turnaround, man. It's so crazy to yeah. like what you've gone through of like, I guess you'd call it a very selfish life of nothing cared except yeah. nothing mattered except for you and alcohol. But then to understand that next chapter wasn't just getting yourself better, but it was using your story to help others. Like there's so much in that, I think. So much in that. Like it it, it just kind of anchors you in a bit of purpose rather than continually like drifting aimlessly through life. Yeah, man. So what was the um, next couple of years? Like, like let's sort of catch up to oh, the last bro. few years. When did you meet your partner? You got a beautiful yeah. wife and young kids now. Like, I think yeah. it just shows hope for people who are in that 100%. dark chapter that there is something on the other mm. side of it. So, yeah, yeah, when did you meet your um, beautiful yeah. partner and kids? And yeah, yeah. What's, what was that chapter like assimilating back into normal life and getting a normal job and yeah, not going out on the weekends? Like, it's a oh. completely different 
lifestyle. Yeah, just so much letting go. Mm. Like I, I never got taught that, you know, life, life's basically about letting go as well, you know, like for the first two years of sobriety, like I was just doing my best but I was still self-seeking. I wasn't drinking or drugging but I was still like suffering with the ego, um, my self-centered thoughts, trying to arrange each day to suit myself, um, pulling at externals to feel better, um, looking for love when love had to come from within. Mm. Um, and I ended up back at um, my mum's place on, on her floor two years in back on antidepressants um due basically suffering from self-centeredness just quickly when the when you went to rehab how how old were you 24 24 okay that gives everything context wow yeah um so yeah i still had a lot to learn Mm. um wound up on antidepressants and um but like it just felt like i didn't want to be on those things like I just did not have a personality again. I felt numb. like numb. It mm. was a numbing feeling. So I, you know, so legally taking alcohol again. You know, it's yeah, numbing, but through a doctor's yeah, man. way. So mm. times got tough. Like I've had a lot of deaths, death of deaths of self throughout my recovery. So that was just like I wasn't helping anyone else. Like I'd. I'd gained all this um, stuff, uh, all this knowledge, and I got sober, and it was basically something out there going brownie, like, like I guess through pain and uncomfortability, I become susceptible to change, mm. and um, I that's that was the tipping point where I um, basically was forced in a way to to start helping other people, and. Um, so me going to meetings and me leaving the house wasn't about how is my how can I have um, a really epic day today. It was how can I best serve today. Good I enough. needed that attitude change because mm. my life depends on it. Yeah, wow. And um, so if, since then, I'd um, I, I've been quite an active member um, in the fellowship and have been. I had a sponsee, you know, passing on um, what was given to me ever since I've had, um, I've had a sponsee. Good on you. Yeah. That's um, so cool. That's really cool. Helping people through their journey. Yeah. Um, and that's what life's, you know, turned into. Mind you, this is like how divine um, life is, you know, like five years sober, I was at, uh, I guess, another growing pain and I've sort of felt stagnant in my sobriety in a way mm-hmm. and I went through the steps again and had a new experience and realized I was still hanging on to some old traumas and as soon as I went through that process five years sober I gained a new experience um, I had a deeper relationship with with my higher power as well I gained from from implementing that positive action and that's when my wife came into my life like it was almost like it i guess i had to let go of 
a lot of shit to then uh, for me uh, to allow something new into my life. And Mm. I didn't even know that. Like I was suffering and like it was a matter of life and death for me to do this work again. And sure enough, on the other side of that um, torment and that pain was one of the most amazing experiences of my life when I saw my wife walk through those cafe doors with her resume. So you, you we met at the Lord's cafe Coffee by then. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk about that. I guess chapter of creating a new life for yourself, building a job, having yeah. a business, and um, yeah, and then your wife walking through the yeah. doors. Um, so I'd always like just had this love for coffee and, um, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do, but service, like I'm naturally a hospitable person. So like when someone comes over, like I'll always cook too much food. Mm. Um, like I've got to make sure that like my guest is feeling really comfortable. Um, and I think like that's that true essence of um, what hospitality is mm-hmm. um so and for my love of coffee i just love the taste i'm just interested about it like i'm yeah. roasting coffee like i'm so immersed in it yeah, and okay. it's just i love um waking up and having a coffee what um co- cafes do for the community as well oh, like everything about it, harmony you know um unification like there's a lot um, behind just um a coffee yeah and um i thought you know what like i've learned so much i was working in the coffee game um ever since i got sober and it just came time to like move from sydney i just got another parking fine for surfing bondi <laughs> and i was like not really digging where i was working and i was thinking stuff this i've got to open my own store and um a couple guys in Newey were like come to Newey, like the surf, there's good beaches. There's a lot of opportunity for small businesses as well. It's a booming city and stuff. Mm. So I just like, took their word for it and um, moved to, to Newey and opened up a pop-up coffee shop. Um, and th- I guess um, I got a couple of articles in some like um, local you know, foodie mm. magazines and stuff and um, got an article in the Herald. Um, next thing you know, I've got a line out the door and I'm, I'm working on a coffee machine on my own. Wow. But, like, the way I do it, like, it's taken years, but I basically, like, remember everyone's order. No way. Yeah. Like, I've stretched my memory no, so like, far. So if people are, like intrigued by the fact that you never write anything down, you're like, yeah, 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 I don't write anything down. I'll like basically see a crowd of people, count how many people are. There could be like fifteen or whatever. I'll like bust like everyone. I'll just orders. nah. I'll bust that many shots. Oh, like yeah, and then I'll be steaming jugs of milk. I'll have dairy freeze on the on the just like close proximity. And um, they'll be they'll be ordering, and they'll be like, "Oh, two large caps and an almond flatty." Okay. I'll have the the shots ready, the milk steaming. Oh, they want an almond. I'll just quickly um, pour that almond and steam on the other other wand, and um, give them their coffees as soon as they order. So, like, there's 
like that personalized service. Yeah, that, there's an art to it. Yeah, that I learnt from the hotel, mm-hmm. um, and the expertise like I learnt off some like really experienced coffee makers have, and my um, I guess me being so hard on myself and my perfectionism and my hospitality that runs through my veins have all come together. Lord's Coffee's born. To create this business. And it's like I've now, I just see myself as like a facilitator. I've, I've got, I'm the old dog now and I've got so much experience and there's like all these young young pups coming through that want to learn and I'm like pump, passing on my skill and giving Lords is about um, giving people a really good life and um, uh, uh, in, in regards to employment, like a really safe, um, positive work environment. Good on you. How many do you have working with you now? Um, nine. Good on you, man. That's sick. But I was having a hard time with staff and I put it out there um, and in, uh, in comes my wife. Like I, I didn't say, oh, my God, I'm going to marry this girl. She made a coffee and I was like, oh, I needed someone to work with me for like three weeks or whatever while my brother was overseas. I said, you know, you can, you know, politely decline this offer, but do you want to work with me for the next three weeks while my brother's overseas? And she's just like, yeah, bloody nice. Like, I'd love to. No, I And like I wasn't thinking... I was more so just like grateful that she was going to help me out Um, and that someone cool has come along like finally after dealing like staffing issues with cafes Mm. is like the hardest thing and I was actually feeling like a little bit, I was feeling really exhausted and a bit defeated like and this is where businesses fail and stuff, you know, like the first couple of years. Yeah, you got to keep just got to keep plugging away, man. Yeah. I'm learning that at the moment. It's hardcore. And, um, yeah, and I got to know her through those um, those weeks and she surfed. So, like, the business is, like, the business hours are to cater for, for our surfing and the public as well. We open seven days a week, 5 a.m. through to 1 p.m. every day. Even on Chrissy, we're open. Unless we don't the waves are good. No, we no, stay yeah, open. Done five to one every so day. much wait, sacrifice galore. Good Bigger idea. picture though, you know, mm. um, like there's always going to be another swell. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'd surf after work and then I was like, I'm going to hot yoga. She's like, Oh, can I come? Sick. And it's hard to find people on this wavelength, dude. Mm-hmm. Like she was get she was partying a bit. She didn't want to in a way. It was just like expected of her, yeah. like with society here. And when she found me, she was like, this life's way better. She was like introduced to a, a life and a world that she didn't know existed. Mm. And we just were like two grommies, like just frothing out, like not drinking, making good money, um, surfing after work, going oh, yeah, to yoga, yeah. going to yoga, and then like. Um, at the same time, like I had a foster a, a foster kid, so like as soon as I was in a financial good financial position, I um, 
um, invited through the um, through docs um, um, a, a bloke that um, he was sixteen, um, and um, yeah, had a pretty rough truck growing up. What's this? You're like thirty, no, twenty nine at this. Yeah. Time. So like, as soon as I was in a position to to be of oh, service in man. another avenue, I um, invited um, this boy to stay with her. So she basically turned into his mum. Wow. Like she's a my wife. Like was like twenty one at the time. She's got such a good head on her shoulders. Like she's an old soul. Mm. I'm so glad we found each other. Yeah. Because. Ever since then, we've just joined forces and um, it's been onwards and upwards. Amazing. Yeah. So, but mind you, before I was okay, I've always had grandiose ideas. Before I'd established myself, I'd, I'd spent thousands on setting up a charity that um, would house kids um, like from from 16 to to 18 um they're in the foster system but no one wants them Mm. because they're too old and it's like i wanted to house them and guide them um but the logistics in that was was really hard and i didn't have any money to be honest (laughs) and yeah so i took one man but it was hard but good on you man for taking one i took one and it taught taught me so much about the system and like um it taught me a lot like about patience and tolerance and um where it's just super good friends today as well see um so i'm all about like it taught me a lot about okay what am i in control of like how how can i benefit the people around me Mm. and that's what lords does as well like i might not be in control of the world and the world's problems but I can create like a hub and my little ecosystem, like that's what I'm in control of Mm. and how can I impact my bubble? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, so a lot of learning throughout. Your story is just like so crazy and for you to come on the other (laughs) side and just be so gentle and calm and well-spoken and just present, Mm. it's quite rare in somebody. Like I do these podcasts a lot and it's like, it's amazing getting to hear your story and see how you've come out the other side. Let's just talk sort of what you're up to now. Got mm. two young kids, coffee shops booming. If anyone wants to come mm. check out the coffee shop, where is it? Up in Newcastle, yeah. right? Yeah, on Beaumont Street, like five minutes west of Merriweather. Okay. Um, but, yeah, life, it's just it's crazy how it improves. It's almost like the first years, you know, years go by, but it was almost like, I was put to the test <laughs> mm. and like that's like, you know, what how I like to see life. Like life throws all sorts of crap at us and I just see it as a test. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm, I've got to harness some patience and tolerance in this situation. Hold on. Get yeah. through it. Not harm anyone. What's this going to teach me? Yeah. Oh, I've passed. Yeah. You know, put my head on the pillow and it's a new day. But, um, yeah, like I've got two kids now um so i had these fears that i was going to be everything was going to get too hard and um like it was all going to be too much and i was going to leave like just like my dad did Mm. and that didn't occur 
So just um, I'm like I can say it like I'm such a good dad and it was due to like I'm, I guess I'm just providing like my kids with everything I wish I had mm. um, and it's like they are just every time I get home from work their eyes light up um, and so the service I've learnt in recovery has now moved to my services now with my wife. She's a beautiful human. It's like how how can I facilitate her to have a bet like a, a really great life? Mm. How can I facilitate my kids to have a really good life? But at the same time, how can I achieve um, what I want to achieve? Um, so, what I, what do I want to achieve? Like I don't. I've got an idea. Like I don't want to be branded. That's the the best thing about being self-employed. It's like, look at my head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for anyone listening, (laughs) Dan's got the craziest mullet you've ever seen. Mullet Lord on Instagram, so go check it out. Yeah, yeah. So it's symbolic, you know. It's symbolic of my of my freedom. Mm. Um, like even my surfing is like all it is is an expression of of my freedom Mm. um like if it's if it's on insta like we'll do like the most like outrageous silly videos it's another expression of 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 our freedom Mm. Uh, business uh we've started an online store so we're wholesaling coffee beans to offices um around coffee, us. send me some i've got yeah. a coffee i've got some i've got a machine at yeah home. yeah you'll be getting sent some yeah frothing it um i got all my gratitude cards too that i was meant to send you nice. years ago and i forgot and i no, just remembered i think oh did i send them i think you did oh, maybe i did send them i don't know yeah anyway, it's sounding a, yeah all right send them to me yeah um yeah so that's um going australia wide sick good on you um and then just beans for for households we can send those freaking anywhere see um and we're doing um uh we've got something in the pipeline um that's going to be um in stores i don't really like to talk about anything till it's happening so i know what it is because yeah. i listen to your other podcast yeah. you them, but um you have to yeah so just stay tuned on that one um not something else or something else. Yeah. Not the. What, what was the other I was one? thinking the um, cafe, the, oh, what, mind blank, espresso martini mix. Yeah. Yeah. We've got that With in some stores. With actual coffee beans rather than. Yeah. There's, that's, instant that's coffee evolved. Like else. That's evolved into. RTD. Um, yeah. Sick. So that'll be cool. Oh, yeah. Um, and like, oh, all the funds to like how does that work not drinking making a yeah i've been like this is a question that's come up a bit and because i had to like weigh up um like you know what do i with your values does it sit right alcoholic drink yeah and like i have to sit with that um in meditation and the right answers come Mm. and it's like i'm the one that's got the the allergy to alcohol not everyone else not everyone else a lot of people can drink moderately and enjoy enjoy one or two Mm. um life's too short to be drinking shit beverages yeah so if i can come out with a beautiful beverage um 
that will aid in like mm. the enjoyment um, that humanity deserves. See. So in regards to finance too, the money, like it doesn't go um, directly to me. It goes to um, good people that are they're in my life that um, are on our books that'll be aiding in the pay rises for them. Good on you. It'll be aiding in me heading to certain destinations to be getting crazy barrels and in turn inspiring others to do the same thing. Good on you, man. So the, the currency is going to uh, build up um, humans like... Love th- that. that I'm in control of. That's how I feel too. Like so the social responsibility. Yeah. So there's no harm in wanting to be successful financially, but it's like good people make money and do good with it. Bad people make lots of money, do bad with it. It's like it's the way but, you, yeah. you view it. And like me, like not coming out with that product, like will hinder our our growth and our impact on society as yeah. a whole. So that, that answer came and I was just like, oh, fuck yeah. It's like I'm doing my year sober and I'm like a part owner of a seltzer company. So it's like I signed the contract about a month before I went sober. Yeah. So I've got a few new flavors I haven't even tried, but that's okay. That's right. I've never even tried it. Yeah. So I was thinking you wouldn't have even tried it. But yeah. You're like, well, it's our beans, so I'm sure it's good. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> I could imagine. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's what's happening at the moment. So... Um, like even with my surfing, like I don't want to even like talk about what I want to do because like the ocean to me, like all I've wanted it to really do ever is just to be free and to surf. Mm. Like I don't even want to brand myself as any type of surfer. I'd love currency to be coming in and for me to, me to just be able to surf. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a balance like, Surfing's so selfish. So, like, the balance between everything that I've got going on mm. and then there can be a little bit still for me. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Got to save some for yourself. Bloody the ocean's up. Yeah. Place. Like, uh, the, especially getting sober, like, my love for the ocean is just, like, right. ever ever evolving and ever, like, increasing. Like, like I've just got, like, just the, the depth um for the, the ocean if it's free diving mm. spear fishing like i just want to be in there man sick i love that yeah man well this has been such a phenomenal chat like your stories like i've said multiple times something like nothing i've heard before it's so amazing to hear the way that you've come from quite a traumatic upbringing quite lost obviously the chapter with alcoholism and drugs is one that is very scary but also an awakening that it sounds like you needed and i've never really heard someone with a near-death experience like that who's been to heaven and hell in their um i guess reality that they're in in their mind and come back and be able to share the story and tell the lessons you've learned from it i think people are going to be blown away by the story but hopefully also inspired to Mm. know if they are in a bit of a lost place whether it is with alcoholism drugs porn anything you know what i mean it's just any addiction mm. to realize that there is start a great life on the other side of it and you're the perfect story of that yeah. from meeting your amazing wife beautiful kids successful business now like mm. it's the biggest 360 you've ever seen and it's it's epic yeah. to share the story with you man so yeah. thank you yeah if anyone um has any questions as well just feel free to i get a a, a few people messaging me um and it's one of my priorities 
um, to get back to you guys um, ASAP. Um, If anyone's suffering with any alcoholism or any sort of addiction, just hit me up and I'll, I'll do my best to, to palm off some um some learnings to you good on you man i'll leave in the show notes all your links to lord's coffee also your instagram profile and yeah everyone will be able to get in contact but i do finish every good humans yeah. podcast and i think you might have listened to one or two because i sent some oh to, yeah so you know it's coming so the last question i finish every good humans episode with is what does being a good human mean to dan brownie brown yeah um it's more so like we've got we've got the the, the choice um good or bad, uh, no matter how much turmoil you're going, is going on inside, choose good. Mm. Uh, and a good human, if you're going through um, anything negative, whether it be a, like a feeling or something external, just make sure that... Um, like a good person wouldn't harm their loved ones, mm. um, you know. So, yeah, that's basically it. Mm. It's awareness you know. of what your actions yeah. are going to turn into, the impact your actions can have. Yeah, because like I remember that and it's like just because you're having a hard time, don't take it out on someone else. Mm. And I think that takes a lot of a, a lot of um a lot of strength, um, but also to be able to sit back and observe um, oneself and not really ch- get caught up um, in the nitty-gritty mm. to see a bigger picture. But, like, there's, everyone's a good person. Like, imagine catching me out fucking 10 years ago. I was doing that. Mm. Like, we're all good people. It's like to be... You know, go through your shit and just be teachable mm. and to better, just better, try and better yourself. Yeah, be curious. How can we grow yeah, through this life? because, like, I reckon everyone, even people that are in jail that, like, have done bad by people, like, everyone's a good person. Mm. Like, they've just made a mistake. The bad, yeah, yeah, they've just made a mistake. And just learn from, if you can learn from your mistake and realise mm. that you did harm someone and say sorry. Mm acceptance like, yeah and ownership so important. it's a deep it's for me that's a really deep uh question yeah and we could get on a nice uh long conversation about we'll, that we'll too have to get you back on. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you back on and, yeah. chat and go into some more of your stories because i'm sure this is going to be a fan favorite yeah. i've absolutely loved this chat it's nice to get to meet you face to face and mm. yeah get to share your story so man thanks so much for jumping on good humans podcast oh it's a pleasure legend hell yeah cheers brother